Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Brothers and sisters, welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem to our continued study on uh, the book of Leviticus, the uh, the book of holiness, and uh, the a book that I I, I kind of feel helps make us. Uh, in a very special way, better disciples of the risen Lord as we're trying to reflect the holiness of God to the world that really needs his holiness, that seems to have forgotten what is truly holy and what is truly sacred. And so we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is present, and one of the ways we do that uh, is not just through our, our, our lips but also through our prayers. And Brother Mordecai, could you... Pray us in as we begin our study. Yes, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this evening and for this gathering. Please bless us with Holy Spirit so we may continue to study <clears throat> your word and walk in your way and come close to you. Please bless Reverend Aaron and church fathers so they can continue to guide us and show us the way to come close to you and draw our hearts to you guide our minds, fill our imaginations, control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The calling of God to be a holy people for all of us. All right, here we go. Uh, looking at our summary from last week, okay, it was a it was a big discussion, so it ends up being uh, over two pages this time. Sorry, but just to get everything in there, it just get, kept going, getting bigger. Uh, appreciate people's comments during the week, and um, oddly enough, time went by really fast, and I honestly think this was just happening the other day. Um, but anyway, here we are. So a summary should be attached online those that are listening in the podcast. Summary of Leviticus 19, verses 5 to 18. Now, there are many sacrifices in Leviticus, and yet Moses singles out the peace offering, the shlamim, to be included in this pivotal chapter of the book. The peace offering is written in the plural, and it hints, as we've discussed in the past, to the multiple levels of peace being made and offered. On one level, it reflects a personal and relational peace with God and the worshipper. The shlamim are a free will offering, and thus we see that God does not want a forced relationship, but one that is intimately free. On another level, peace is also made for the entire world, and hence we also have a part to play in bringing peace into the world and not just with ourselves. Blessed are the peacemakers, says the Lord. So how do we bring peace to those around us? Well, obviously, one way is to share the good news of the Prince of Peace. Another is to act out our faith in obedience to be a holy people. Holiness, as reflected in the book of Leviticus, affects the world around us in a positive way. Lastly, 
we also seek peace in the heavenly realms. The Jewish prayer, Osei Shalom Bim Ramav, which translates as, may there be peace in the highest or the highest heaven, is reflected in the Lord's prayer when we pray, may your will be done on earth and in heaven. Yes, the actual word in Greek is kai, which means and, but it is translated as it is by the King James translators based on their worldview at the time. The peace offering had to be consumed in the same day as it was offered. The Lord does not seem to delight in stale relationships. By the third day, the offering was no longer accepted by God. Any consumption of the offering by the third day was considered profaning something that was holy. How does something that was sacred become profane or common? By not eating the peace offering, the worshipper demonstrates personal spite against something declared holy by God. On a spiritual level, Jesus is the peace offering to the world. Should we withhold this message of peace, then we demonstrate spite or disdain and essentially unbelief in the resurrection and the salvific work of God through the Messiah. What does that mean? I remember a Jewish believer who used to work in the coffee shop at uh, Christchurch once said, if you have the truth, if you know the truth, you believe the truth, but you don't tell me about it, then you're an evil person. If you honestly believe that you know the truth, but you refuse to share it, you're evil. And so that we're not to be that way. We're meant to be good and holy and thus share. So God's call to holiness is now practically revealed in the instructions through Moses. Let's all remember that the Holy Spirit is a participant in this God-breathed scripture. Now, Lord Rabbi Sachs of blessed memory noted that the laws in this chapter could be categorized into three groups. Verses 9 to 16 are the social codes of how we should relate to each other. Verses 17 to 18 are the moral codes that should affect our morality towards each other. And verses 19 and beyond contain rules relating to the separation between things and people for beneficial reasons. While separated into groups, they all affect each other and they relate through the practical expression of obedience by the holy people of God. The first instruction involves an open public assistance program for Israel, providing for the welfare of the poor and the sojourner displays holiness according to the Lord. This is not harvesting all your fields. True religion is defined as taking care of the widows and the orphans. Farmers are commanded to not completely harvest their fields. Grapes are left on the vine. Corners of the fields remain unharvested. And what fell to the earth during the harvest is also left for the gleaners. This beautifully sets up the redemptive story of Ruth and Boaz, of course. And here we see the heart of God. Who really owns the vineyard or the field? God delights to bless the farmer with good sunlight and abundant rainfall. God is not against the rich and wealthy, but the Lord also cares equally for those who do not own fields or farms. God is generous, and he expects those who have been blessed to be generous in turn. Thus, 
the farmer will allow complete strangers, including Gentiles, to come onto his lands and take his stuff. Stewardship can be quite challenging for all of us. What is the correct balance between giving everything away and working to have enough to share? Well, note that the gleaner actually has to work for their food too. Grace is not opposed to effort. Stealing, the eighth commandment, is paired with dealing falsely with a brother and lying to each other, which is the ninth commandment. A lot of these uh, commandments reappear in this, in this chapter. Dishonesty in human relationships is forbidden and disregards the holiness of God. Our attitudes and actions towards our fellow humans, our human beings, either profanes the name of God or keeps his name holy. This request to keep God's name holy has been taught to us by Jesus and is linked to our behavior. God's holiness permeates throughout every aspect of our lives and includes the workplace. We are encouraged to treat workers and our fellow staff with respect and dignity. We are instructed to pay them fairly and on time. We are not allowed to oppress those who work for us and with us. And we are not allowed to oppress those with physical disabilities. The Torah uses expressions that focus on their weaknesses. Do not curse the deaf. They can't even hear what you say, but those with hearing can. Don't put a stumbling block before the blind. Well, that's just cruel. Generosity and kindness are aspects of holiness in our dealings and attitudes to the weak members of our society. You can judge a society by how it treats its most vulnerable members. And in the kingdom of heaven, God shows us how he loves the handicapped. As the Messiah comes to heal, he comes to open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. God treats everyone equally, and he goes out of his way to find the lost and to heal the weak. Then, as reflections of the Messiah, we should behave in the same way. Other commandments in this chapter end with the statement, I am the Lord. In relation to the poor, there is an added injunction to fear the Lord. Deliberately going against the heart of the living God in caring for the vulnerable demonstrates a heart that does not revere nor stand in awe of the Lord. It is a very dangerous place to be indeed. This does not mean that we should overly favor the poor in preference to the wealthy in matters of justice. Justice should be blind and all treated equally before the Lord. The New Testament would encourage us not to go to court at all if possible, rather to, to settle our disputes in fellowship and in love. As Jesus says in Luke 17, rebuking your brothers and forgiving sins. The last of the social codes involves the taming of the tongue, a stipulation that continued into the new, new Jesus movement. Gossip and slander should be far from our lips, yet we find it so easy to take pleasure to speak negatively of others. One aspect of holiness is to encourage each other with our words and build up our common life. We are commanded to love each other. Love is a choice and it is not an uncontrolled emotion. The opposite of love is hate, and here we are commanded not to hate our brother in our heart. Love and hate are also actions. 
action and the heart are always linked together. God desires a change in our hearts to follow our actions of love and honor towards each other as being expressed in this holiness code. Instead of holding hatred in our hearts towards others, we are to reason frankly together and to rebuke in love. The instruction is followed by a warning, lest you incur sin because of him. There has been a long discussion on the culpability and reproach that we hold when correcting or failing to correct a brother. Modern confessions include the sin of omission. That is, when we fail to do the good we knew that we should do. Doing nothing, keeping silent in the face of obvious sin is not an option in reflecting the holiness of God. God deals with sin, and so we should too. The last instruction in the moral code is well known to us all. Loving your neighbor as yourself has been joined together in the Jewish daily oath of loyalty known as the Shema. It is on the lips of Jesus and is at the core of holiness. Loving your neighbor is not a statement in isolation. We cannot enact this instruction if we flee from society. And no one can see our light shine to reveal our good deeds, except that those deeds be truly done and witnessed by others in the community. Loving's one neighbor is a fundamental principle of the Torah and it is called the royal law by James. The question still remains as to who was my neighbor. In the literal context of Leviticus, it is the Israelite, as well as the stranger to whom these instructions bid us enact God's holiness. Jesus' teaching on the Good Samaritan highlights this point. It takes an effort of will to love beyond ourselves, our families, our communities, and even towards our enemies. Love is a choice, and this is not something we do alone. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us towards holiness with the Torah clearly written on our hearts. That's a summary from the last couple of weeks, actually, but definitely last week. So finishing off Leviticus 19, picking it up at verse 19. I'm reading from an ESV. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, and nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave assigned to another man and not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free, but he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed. And he shall be forgiven for the sin which he had committed. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. 
You shall not round off the hair on the temples, uh, on your temples, or mar the edges of your beard. And you shall not make any cuts on your body or the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers and do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord. You shall stand up before the grey head and honour the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a, and a just in. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules to do them. I am the Lord. All right. There you go. So based on a literal reading there, are any of these separation laws, do they anything jump out at you that you uh, haven't noticed before, or David, or Vida? Aaron, there's a couple of things that I've been wondering about. Uh, I pick up verse 19 for a start, uh, how our, in our time of hybrid this affects us, and also in the, the idea that when you come into the land, you leave it for three years, then you put the fourth year to the Lord, and then in the fifth year you can do something with your crops. This, and, and yet when I think of the idea, is, is this a connection to Shemitah? Because the Shemitah is seven, if I'm correct, right? The Shemitah is eight, the eighth year. Yeah, yeah so, the eighth. And, and, and the other thing, my third question was, it's, I guess these are all questions really, is, is why should you not round the corners of your heads? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't think anybody knows what that means. And one of the things I, I find interesting is in the Orthodox traditions, there are some that do shave uh, and allow their people, because they say, we don't really know what that other means. And they have a very interesting take on it. Mordecai, what, how does Chabad, you're from Chabad, how does Chabad view this idea? Well, here's the thing. So as Reverend says, <clears throat> we don't know what the verse means. But here, it says, do not round off your, the corner of your head, right? We are talking about that, 27. So that's why Chabad believes that if you just, can just hold it like this, you see the hair, it's totally kosher. But there are communities in Israel that they never shave, never, ever. And there are communities, Sephardi mostly, they shave. They, they say, oh, we don't know what that means. Uh, leave it to God, it's not super important. And they shave it. But the main point at that time was that the oral tradition says that the Egyptian priests used to shave their head. And the Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to keep us separated from that culture and give us at least some sort of hair, permanent hair, that would stay forever. So it's up to person. I usually try not to shave it, like with a gillette or like, you know, you know what I mean? So, but you can cut it. But Chabad Minhag is as soon as you can, as, as long as you can hold it, it's okay. Mm, interesting. 
um, Yvonne from Brazil. Yeah, what always ca catches my attention is the the mixing, right? The the mixing of the animals, but and the seed. But for me, it's it's the the cloth, which is very interesting because um, you know the priests were able in Exodus twenty eight. It talks about in Exodus twenty eight five how they were able to mix fabrics, woolen yarn, and linen, and uh, and so it's interesting that uh, or you know, and, and some of the order, some of the other priests, I think the same. And also, um, I guess the curtains were also, there was mixed uh, cloth. And it's just very interesting how it's, 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 it's trying, it's, it's, the, it's the separation of the, of the, of the sacred space um, that became much more. So, so the, the wearing of, and, and the wearing of mixed fabrics reserved for sacred spaces. So um, just the priests and some of the, the, the temple uh, some of the curtains in the temple. And um, there was one more thing I was going to say about that. Yeah. About the wearing of it. So, so the separation of the sacred and, and not, and then the other thing I was going to mention, oh, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't forbid making, but it does forbid wearing. And so the differentiation between wearing for the sacred, sacred and um but it's okay to make it. You just have to be a priest and be in the holy spheres to be able to wear it. There's a, a lot of these laws. They don't seem to have reasons that we are that are easily accessible. Uh -huh, exactly. And um, uh, in the in among the community of guys that I study with uh, during in the mornings, um, they are they 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 would be labeled by other communities as um, progressive conservatives. These are Jews who um, Shomer Shabbat, they, they uh, wear tzitzit, kippot, they keep kosher, but they also go and get jobs and they participate in the community They and they um, also study with, uh, with Gentiles because I'm, I'm included. When I ask them to help me define some of these, to find reasons, they say, look, um, there are lots of words in the Torah, there are four, okay? There's the mitzvot, and they seem to be pretty easy to understand. There's, um, they seem to have reasons why, like don't murder. Well, that's an obvious mitzvah, okay? Because obviously it's just not a nice thing to run around and start killing people. But they also just realize that there's these other things called chokim, these laws. And a lot of these are the ones we're talking about now. And we're not 100% sure what they mean. But they search for them. They look for them. However, this passage does have a long, a big dis description on separation, uh, being able to distinguish between two things. And if we're brutally honest with our current world, our world has lost the complete idea of how to distinguish anything. What becomes so sad when we're preparing, oh, I'm not an American, and I apologize to any Americans who may be offended by this, but when, and there's a few here smiling now going, oh my gosh, here he goes. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having a go against the rebels, okay, really sorry. Uh, but when, when, <laughs> when selecting uh, some, some new judges and things, and they ask somebody, you know, what is the definition of a woman? And the, their answer is, well, I'm not a doctor. Uh, a fifth grade biology class knows the difference between males and females. But somehow, once you get a degree, you've lost the ability to figure that out. It's a bit sad. Um, conversely, within the church, let's get close to home. 
too many of us don't can't distinguish what a sin is anymore, and suddenly we can't we can't not not saying that hey let's get all sinners out of the church because then we'd all leave you know close the door and leave an empty building, but there still has to be a distinction that something is right and something is wrong, something is unholy and something is most definitely holy. And somehow we've lost that. But here we have an interesting little task in front of us to see how we can study these words and perhaps find some spiritual application in our ability to distinguish between things. And there might be some some interesting, um, very personal uh, applications for us. And there are going to be some things where we just uh, study and go, you know what, I'm not 100% that I know. But one day Messiah will come and he'll probably uh, give us the, the, the real reason. Sort it, Allah. Yeah, he'll let us know. Rocky, what you got? Uh, yeah, so I was uh, reading a scientific study the other day, and it said that linen and wool both have healing frequencies, but they cross each other out if they're worn together. Okay, that's interesting. Yep, not sure. I actually haven't heard that. Uh, from anybody, but that 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 rule is called shatnas in in Hebrew. Uh, this this you cannot reap wear uh, linen and um, wool together. One from the grain and one from an animal. One from agriculture. One from livestock. Um, and give me the exact reasons. No one's one hundred percent sure. Could be one. All right, David. Yes, coming back to the idea of sin. Uh, if we look at verse uh, twenty. Whoever lies carnally with a woman that is a bondmaid, that one. Is, is there a connection to this one, uh, uh, to John 8, where the, where the woman is caught in adultery and brought before the Lord? And, and because we've always wondered why nobody mentioned the guy that was involved, right? So, mm. and, and yet, here is speaking purely about the woman. Is, do you think the Lord is referring directly to this when he's talking about that? That's a good question. I actually have never thought of that before. Um, the the that's interesting because the, the in the John eight account there's no description of her um, social status. It doesn't say whether she's a slave, whether she's um, a well-to-do noble. Uh, it doesn't say. It doesn't give us any of those hints. It just um, it just the the challenge you know is he who has to cast the first stone. Um, uh, is a is a that's a, that's a that's that's the one of the, I think one of the big challenges. But linking it here, I haven't seen that before. That's very interesting, David. Um, Stephen from Ohio, yeah, yeah, from Colorado, actually, not Ohio, not anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think the aspect here is sacredness is action. It isn't just following a rule. Um, but there's some deeper intrinsic element to it of, of, of an internal being expressed in an external way, rather than it just being two pieces of cloth that shouldn't be woven together. There's something behind that that holds that truth rather than just not doing something. Right. Um, and I think that's what jumps out at me is that there's, there's the heart action, the mind action, not just the external action. Okay, very good. As you were talking about it, I was thinking sometimes we 
understand what we're doing and then we do it. And sometimes we just obey before we even understand. And if we're completely honest, uh, as children, as we were growing, that was largely the way we learned the world. Our parents gave us instructions. We didn't understand them. Uh, and uh, and so, so as the children of God, is it okay to say for ourselves, I don't understand? That's an interesting place to be. Um, it's a very humbling place. I don't place understand to be. most things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like, I, mean, I don't understand anything, but I love the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Patty, you've, you've got a hand raise. I just want to ask a question. So we're doing a lot of this, like, you know, we're cross pollinating and, and, you know, obviously for some, some good reasons for to create more crops, to feed more people. You know, I know so many people that have tattoos, I, you know, obviously I don't worry about mixing my fabric. So are, am I, are we sinning or at ah. what point, you know, you know, like. That's a good question, like, Patty. <laughs> so, and that, and, and perhaps we should, you know, when we, when we discuss this learning of dis- distinction and separating, um, on what levels do we do some of this? And um, do we throw out the spiritual learning because we can't seem to always appropriate the physical learning? Um, that's a good question. Um, we, we are, we're all wearing, including Jewish people, polyester clothing, right? And as soon as you say the word poly, you know f- for a fact it's made of more than one stuff. Um, and yet it seems to, ha- seems to be rabbinically okay. And so we, we, and also science has developed what we call you know, genetically modified food, to be, and it's quite healthy. It's resistant to diseases. It's, you know, rice used to not have vitamin D in it. Anyone remember that? Yep, the original, original rice, okay, didn't have vitamin B, and China was, had a huge problem with vitamin C deficiency. Guess what? Some scientists, where, where knowledge comes from the Lord, created, uh, it was originally called golden rice. Anyone remember that? It was a 70s product, yeah. Now just about every rice is made this way. It's, it's wonderful. It's, a, you know, it's not horrible. It's not evil. It's incredibly healthy. But uh, uh, what are we trying to learn here in terms of the, the, the ability of distinction and separation? But Aaron, can it not be the same way that Paul spoke when Paul was saying with the ox that treaded the grain? He was saying God isn't really concerned about the ox. This is actually referring to the pastor and, and doing the work. So, again, is it, are we trying to be too physical in our understanding of this sometimes? Well, if, if we can remember from uh, Jewish exegesis, you have multiple levels of reading every verse. Yeah. And so there was always going to be that what does this allude to idea. In fact, literally every verse is supposed to speak of the Messiah somehow, right? Yes. Yeah. You're supposed to look at you know everything and go now. How does it help me with my? Um, how does the Messiah help me not breed my cattle together? Um, and what does that actually mean? Uh, and and you know many times you might throw up your hands in, in abject failure, but that doesn't mean it's not true, or, or that it's not there. And uh, and it it means that the Bible continues to be alive, and we continue to wrestle with it and let it speak. And um, maybe one day we we might get some bright sparks that can. Um, shed some light on some of these verses but we'll see all right let's have a look at them you shall keep my chokim you'll keep my statutes and my laws 
and um, and well, the first thing is breeding of animals together with different kinds. So, when 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 someone comes out and says, "Don't mix kinds together," what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Is there a verse? Is there an account of uh, animals and kinds? What about uh, Jacob when he was mixing stuff? Okay, yeah. And what did he mix together? It, it stripes on, 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 on cows and stripes on sheep. I'm, I'm, you know, if I remember, he mixed a whole bunch of stuff. Right, so he didn't mix cows with sheep. What did he mix? Oh, gosh, I'm going blank. Sorry, I just sheep, thought he did sheep. Stripes sheep with unstriped sheep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the same kind. Okay. Genesis chapter 6 and the rebellion of the angelic beings with humans. Okay. Interesting. Yep. So there you're talking about a spiritual kind with an earthly kind. Yes. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Yeah. And those two things should never have been mixed. Yes. Um, but even go back even before Genesis 6, creation itself. Oh, okay. yes. Each seed according to its kind. Each tree each is according to its kind. Right from creation, there is this um, way that the world is meant to work. And so God creates it. He creates all kinds of kinds for want of a better word. And at the end of every day, he looks down and he says, it's good. And that includes when it had pigs in it. Okay. It's not that pigs are evil. <laughs> all right. Just pigs are forbidden for the Jewish people. It's a bit different. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it's not that God made the world and went, oh my gosh, who put that there? That pink thing. <laughs> but that a really, that's a bad idea. No, it was good. And uh, it has its purposes and it has its kind and its, function in creation and uh, and so it is the lord the lord creates this order and then what happens is human comes along and we want to mix the order up it can't always be for a positive thing so one of the things i think we learn is that god is a god of order and god has created an order it's out to our detriment when we start messing with the order all right so uh david you've got a hand raised or vita someone it's just with, as you're saying, this mixing, especially of the seed of the field. You know, when yep. you don't sow your field with mingled seed, just it just comes to mind the parable that Lord Jesus gave where he said, and the angel said, Lord, didn't you just scatter good seed? So who scattered the bad seed in the field? And so from a spiritual perspective, you can see what the Lord, for me, what the Lord is trying to allude to here. You know, the field that he purchased, you could, you, it's, you're either in the kingdom of God or you're not. You can't have both in one or the other. Yep, that's a good one. I remember um, uh, uh, a Jewish guy called Chaim. Do you remember little old yes, Chaim who would, yes. would, would show up to Christchurch sometimes and he would be pulling his little trolley of books and he would just sit with, for hours with us and talk and reason. And, uh, and I remember him having a comment about this. Do not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Okay, what does that mean? You know, don't sow barley with sorghum. Don't do wheat, you know, with grapes. You know, it doesn't work. And you're like, well, why not? What's the problem? And he says he went for the spiritual level. He went for that, that sort of high level, physical one. He says each seed, each kind, each thing that God has made is actually quite unique. And it requires a unique blend of water, nutrients, and light, space. Uh, depth of soil to grow. Some trees have a huge taproot. Some, their roots are surface. 
everybody's quite different. It says you put two seeds within the same little piece of ground and you are making competition. You're forcing creation now to compete itself and fight itself. He says, what do you want to do that for? And he says, have a look at this. Have a look at what God is saying. God is saying he cares for his creation so much that he says, stop making my, my creation fight itself. Don't do that. It's, not, it's meant to work in harmony. It's not meant to work in opposition to each other. And then he took it to uh, the, the uh, Calva Homer level. You've heard of this, guys, the lighter to the heavier. He says, God cares about plant seeds. And plant, there's, you, know, you harvest grain, you're talking millions of seeds on a field. If God is so concerned about just wheat, how much more is he concerned about human seeds? So, Aaron, Aaron, can this also allude to the judgment? Because if I think about the wheat and the tares, right? If you've got a hybrid and things are mixed together, how then do you separate the wheat and the tares? How do you? Well, what, what does the parable say? That's a good one. Let them grow together. Yeah. Let you them grow that, together. And you're like, and then the separation out. Yes. yes so. it's, remember, whenever Jesus talks in a parable, they're shocks. Like he gives it, the, the story is a shock. And people are like, what? So they're already sitting in their mind going, no, you don't do two seeds at once. And here you've got this work of the kingdom saying, no, let them alone. Let them grow together. Like the shock is you know, where you jump into the story. You know, um, the parable of the guy who, who you know, threw his seed everywhere. You know, what's the shock? The shock is what kind of crazy farmer is this? You know, a guy's got this valuable seed and he's just throwing it around onto bad soil. The guy's an idiot. You know, um, a, a good farmer would prepare the ground and would deliberately put seed in a deliberate place that he knows it's going to grow. So the, the, the parables are, are really good shocks that get people to wake, to wake up. And um, the link here could be, could be good. The link here could be um, those two things shouldn't be growing together. And yet, and yet they do. Very cool. All right. So um, the initial verse on verse 19 is this idea of understanding kinds, which our society can't seem to do these days, and, um, and, and, and then stop trying to mix kinds that shouldn't be bound together, and then understanding and taking care of creation. That, you know, there's an element here of, of uh, taking care of the earth, um, which uh, sometimes, you know, you could be argued that we're not doing that very well uh, in the way that we uh, pollute our environment. Um, however, the, the, the thing here can also be taken onto a spiritual level and should be always as well, as well as a physical care of the earth, um, that sowing the seeds with two, two kinds of seeds could be, as uh, Chaim had mentioned, could be applied then to a human. And, uh, and, if, and if God cares for creation so much, then how much more does he care for actual physical humans? And therefore, if human seeds are vitally important, what can't you do to a human seed? Kill it. And that mix. Yeah, mix it, but kill it. And so this was be one. This was one sort of argument against um, uh, abortion. And then you get this interesting verse of um, Shatnas uh, wearing a garment of cloth made of two materials. And uh, that was an interesting spiritual journey you took us on there, Rocky, of uh, of having some sort of healing quality. Um, most 
not most, just about every co Jewish commentator has no clue what shatnaz means. Okay? Other than it's you, you act out, you walk out your obedience without always understanding why. Aaron, yeah, the, this command of the of, this, of the clock again. I, I know there's not a clear understanding, but I think it's so interesting in this wearing of fabrics of mixed seeds. Like it's it it, it shows here. I mean, you can see it in the in the sacred sphere that um, in the case of clothing, you know, the priests and some of the some of the, um, the curtains on the tabernacle, and then you have Korah's rebellion, where he doesn't. He doesn't respect the sec sacred space, and and then there's that whole rebellion. So it's it's, it's interesting on a spiritual yep. understanding. Do we have a distinction between the sacred and uh, and the profane? Um, it's a that's a in terms of even just like a holy space. How do we treat the holy space? What should we wear when coming to such a holy space? What do we require our clergy to wear? Do we require them to wear anything? Do, are we bothered? If we're not bothered, why are we not bothered? Um, you know, do we, is, this, is this idea of there actually being distinctions and separations um, a, a positive spiritual discipline? I would argue yes. I would say yes. Part of the holiness code is distinguishing between the sacred and the profane and having an appreciation of differences and kinds and, and knowing places and responsibilities to, from, and forthwith. Uh, yeah. Uh, Stephen, you had a hand raised? Uh, does that apply to where Paul is talking about the body of Christ having its distinctions? Is it not the same as what this is alluding to, of differences? Of, but, uh, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. Okay. Um, you know, is is that can that be a, a, applied cross sectionally? What do you think, guys? I think I think probably yes, yes. But they know there are distinctions within the body, and that's okay. Yes, um, I think I think it's a danger to try and make us all exactly the same. And I think too much of our modern culture, particularly in the West, doesn't. It's not always very prevalent in the East. I, I've noticed, um, but we're trying to make everybody equal and yet that wasn't the way god when god created the world the sun is not equal to the moon and uh, you know the elephants are not equal to mice that doesn't make them any less valuable that's different you know sometimes we translate equality as as being equal value that's not true um but uh but, but yeah it's an and therefore within the body the differences and distinctions that we have hands, feet, the different gifts, the diversity of gifts, and, and uh, can we distinguish them and, um, and separate them? Um, and yet there are some of us who will say, that, no, everyone needs to have a certain gift. Well, maybe not so much, <laughs> uh, but possible. Uh, it might be nice. Um, all right, guys. Uh, Patricia. I just was going back to the sacred space. Okay. So that's why it was so important when they went, when he said, when you take the promised land that I'm giving you, I want you to clear it, right? Clear it, get rid of the Canaanites, because this is your sacred space. Uh, just a thought that came in. Yeah. About yeah. separating. That, and, and isn't it interesting? Um, we, I think most of us here would acknowledge that there is such a thing as sacred space and a sacred land. 
and there's a large sections of the world, including within the church community, that would deny that and say that, no, there is no distinctions anymore. And, uh, and they'll quote the verse that you know, says that there are no distinctions. And what is the verse? Is it, guys? What's the verse that is so usually misquoted? There are no males and females. There are no Jews or Greek. There are no rich or poor. There's no slave or free. And you're like, oh, that's fantastic. And then you open your eyes and you realize, well, that's just not quite 100% true in the real world. It means something more than, it, than people are, are forcing it to mean. It means more than it means, but it uh, certainly can also mean a bit less. Um, and, and here we have a, a piece of sacred space. You're right, the land of Canaan. And clean it first because it was polluted. All right. Teresa, London, good to hear from you. I don't know if, the, going back to the material, if, if it's anything to do with the fact that different fibres often don't work together. You know, if you try and sew cotton or try and sew nylon with cotton thread, it, you can't do it properly. And if you try and sew cotton with nylon thread, it doesn't work. And I don't know, because I don't know about material, how it would work to try and weave those two together or something similar. And whether this is about, you know, the different kinds don't actually, you know, do, do much good to each other. I don't know. All I know is that there are certain garments, which I shan't mention, that I can't wear, well, that cause me problems, my skin problems, because they're mixed. You know, with mm -hmm. elastane, for example. Sure. And it's just a thought, that's all. I, I don't know. But, it, but, you know, they may not, as it were, get on together that well. They may not work. Some might but others might not. So it, maybe there's something you can draw from that, but it's just an idea. Go right ahead, Mordecai. I mean, it might be about other nations wearing mixed things too, you know, like because half of the law basically that was given in the Bamitmar desert was to divide the Israelites from other nations. So it might be about other nations too. Maybe it might not have anything to do with Jewish people, you know. Just don't do that as they did, you know, like maybe okay. it's all about it. Could be. Um, as as Teresa was was talking, um, this idea of separating kinds and this idea of us forcing kinds together, sometimes inappropriately. Um, how do we how do we take that on a spiritual level? Sometimes there are people that actually shouldn't be together, and 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 um, and sometimes we have to have the discernment to say. Actually, guys, you two, whenever you two get together, all you do is fight. And, jump, and, and it's, this is actually really unhealthy. It's unhealthy for you. It's unhealthy for us. It's, and it's not that God doesn't value either of you. He does. But it just might be. And this is a discernment. This is one of those fruits of discernment, right? The ability to that, that, that actually is there is to say, actually, there might actually be need to be a separation. You go this way and you go that way. And may you both be blessed. For the Lord, it's not a horrible environment, um, but in our, in our, sometimes in our modern world, we want to force everybody to be together because we say that is a good thing, and it might be that that is not actually true. It could be that uh, here we have this idea of distinctions and kinds, which were at the beginning of creation, and God looked at them and said, "This is good." And it's good that these are different kinds. And it's good to uh, have a world that is varied 
and is not all the same and is not homogenous and is full of different smells and colors and flavors and languages and cultures. And, uh, and there's such beauty in it, what I find. And I think you would probably agree with me too. Um, all right, uh, Yvonne, Brazil, you've got a hand raised. I was just uh, thinking, you know, each each one according to their seed, according to their kind, animals and plants, and <clears throat> that I'm thinking of the cherubim, and they're not, they're a mix. They're a mix of different animals and different species, and it's interesting, but they're also, again, they're reserved for sacred space. They're in the tabernacle, they're on the, they're on the, um, they're the, the this mixture they're on the um the the, the uh, curtains of the tabernacle they're in ezekiel on the wheels i mean they're following the shekinah and so it's it's just i find it interesting how there's the mixture with the priests and the mixture of the cloth and the tabernacle and these now these animals are mixed but again it's all reserved to holy space and um i just thought so that just came to mind cool all right um Let's have a look now. Okay, so after we've had this one verse on separation, and it was a big discussion for us <laughs> to, on multiple levels, which has been ah. good. Now we go into uh, a particular case of separation because this is different from other cases, right? So we have a man lying sexually with a woman, okay? Like that's never happened before, right? But in case, so if we ever catch one of these guys doing this, what do we normally do? But we got we got rules. Um, but this one, no, we're making a distinction. The woman is a slave, right? If the man was a slave, that well, it's just, actually there's no rule for that one. Um, if a if a man lies sexually with a woman who's a slave, who's assigned to another man, so it gets very specific and very distinctive, but not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. Now, there's this idea that the people of God are commanded to make distinctions so um, a question that came from janet yes is this not adultery that is a good question let's answer that question first or maybe okay so uh mordecai says yes yes okay it's it, it, can it, i thought adultery was between married people but but here can it not be under the title of fornication uh what do you think what is the difference well, fornication for me, I think, is 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 a dis- is, is anybody a person that's not really married? Because if you're married, there's adultery, right? Mm-hmm. And but if you're not married, how do you how do you say it? Is it adultery or is it not? And I think I'm I'm so Paul and that will will just will qualify that as being fornication. Wait, was she was she forced to have sex with him, or was it consensual? Uh, that's it. <laughs> it doesn't say. But um, but 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 Mordecai, do you have um so a comment, a commentary there that you're looking at that's discussing that this is adultery? Yeah, it is an adultery because uh, the plain verse doesn't say that it should be between married woman and man. It doesn't. It says do not commit adultery, and all we have is a commentary. What is an adultery? Who who determines it? You know. Okay. So that's basically, this is an adultery because this woman is basically belong to somebody. I mean, at that time, it was like this, even in marriage. When you yeah. divorce, you give, gave her permission to leave. So who am I to give her a permission to leave? Am I the owner? So it's like at that time, the mentality was a bit different than today. I mean, actually. Okay, well, this is true. Israel. That's a given. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She was promised. Yeah. 
this this girl is promised. This girl is a sign. So there is there is an, another third party that's being aggrieved here. But at the same time, there's also a distinction. She was not free. Yeah. Mm. So not correct. So certain rights are being withheld her, which can be uh, uh, problematic in our way of, you know, just by saying that certain rights are withheld her. Well, you know, anyone in prison has certain rights withheld them. So there were no prisons at the time of the Bible. There was status, right? So her status is different from other statuses and uh, certain rights she did not have. Erin, can I ask you a question? You say that she should be separated, but my Bible says here she shall be scourged. 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 That's, that's whipped. Really? So can you read your verse 20 out for me? And can you tell me your version, please? It's King James. Oh, so King James. Okay, King James. Okay, verse 20. And whosoever, and whosoever lieth kindly with a woman that is a bondmaid, betrothed to a husband, and not at all redeemed, nor freedom given her, she shall be scourged. 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 They wow. shall not be put to death. No, Hebrew, Hebrew, yeah. It says there shall be an investigation in Hebrew. That the meaning of it is an investigation. You need to investigate to figure it out. And, and Mordecai, that, that's why we were kind of confused because, as I understand it, anybody caught in adultery should be stoned. Yeah. Yeah, this version says there must be due punishment. Mm. Uh, yours is the modern NIV, is it, Sharon? New, yeah, new international version. Yeah, yeah the, the, but the modern, modern one. Yeah, because there's like an old one and there's a new one. <laughs> um, but okay, so yours is due punishment. Uh, uh, Mordecai's is, we know we have to investigate if there has to be a punishment. King James, let's get straight to the punishment. Okay, what an interesting <laughs> world you guys have got. You know? No, it'd be uh, correct, I think, in Hebrew. This is, it's, it's live dog, you know, the check. To, live to, dog, okay, live dog, let's check. That is, let's make an investigation. Okay. Um, yeah, I haven't got my Hebrew Bible with me. Maybe Larry has something to say. Hey, guys, we have a new friend with us, Larry, from Ohio from the United States, and he has been staying with us for like a year now. So it's been that long, Larry. Yes. So Larry, Larry's a, a Jewish believer from Ohio who uh, I had a chance to have Passover with and hear his testimony, which was absolutely fascinating. Um, no need to share it right now, but welcome, brother, to our uh, study. I see you're sitting in the courtyard at Christchurch, which is a very his nice balcony. place. To, his balcony. Yes. So a man lies with a woman who's a slave, and then an investigation needs to be made. What are we investigating? And, uh, truth. truth. We're trying to find the truth of the matter. There is a distinction. There's some sort of things that's going to be made. If this was purely adultery, purely adultery, then what's the, what's the rule? Stone them. Right? <laughs> and, and, and does everyone remember how stoning is done in the, in the ancient world? By throwing stones. Right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is a stoning. Biblical stoning is done this way. You push somebody off a precipice. They hit the ground and are stunned. The person, right, who's the most grieved or assigned to the, the case casts the first stone, which is a very large rock. You don't hit them in the head. You crush them in the chest. Because you're breaking the heart. And so when Jesus says, he who, who casts the first stone, he who has without sin, you cast the first stone. So the guy who's completely pure, you do the first blow, the one that's you know, going to 
most likely kill the person. And because um, we often think of just a bunch of people just throwing rocks. That comes a bit later, but there's usually someone with a larger piece um, here. It's, but here where there is a, there is a um, it may or may not be requiring this death penalty. And so there is a distinction and investigation. So okay? it's, it's not lead to conclusion. There's, a, there's an investigation. Something that caught my attention is that, um, okay, so she was assigned to another man, but not yet ram, ransomed or given her freedom. So it could be this concept of, of non, she wasn't betrothed officially, because if she would have been betrothed, she would have had her freedom. Like, um, you know, we have the, the case of, of David when he wants uh, Michal he sends, uh, you know, the betrothal, the bridal price, <laughs> and so no, nothing was given. So could there not have been the official betrothal of this couple? And so in this, then, then she because she hadn't been ransomed. Had she been, had she given the bridal price and been ransomed, then uh, it would have been a, a completely different situation. So it seems as though um, there was no adultery because. Possibly, I mean, this is possibly because there could have not have had the official betrothal because it says, you know, that she wasn't, she hadn't been freed. Right. And um, then what would he just have to take care of her? Ransom, you know, he'd take care of him, take her in as, 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 as a wife and take care of her. Well, let's, the, the pasuk, I mean, there's a lot there that, that ha- isn't actually explained. Um, the, there is some sort of guilt. Something's gone wrong because yeah. someone here has sinned. And who's the guy that sinned? The man that took the her. man. Okay. Yes. And so he's going to have to cough up something. Mm-hmm. But what he doesn't have to do is literally marry the girl. Although you do find those rules in other books, in other parts mm-hmm. of the Torah. There's certain ways you treat women. You treat them fairly, you treat them honestly, and you provide for all of their needs. Here, there's this. It might have been consensual. We're going to have a check. Is this adultery? If it is, we know what to do. If it's not, we know now what to do. We're going to make a distinction, and he's guilty. And the way he fixes his guilt is he brings um, an offering of a, of a ram yeah, to the Lord. So, yeah, so that's what I was going to mention, that, as you commented, like the verse 21 there, that the man, however, can bring this, this ram as a guilt offering, and then the priest will forgive him. And it's kind of like, when do you stone and when do you bring the ram, I guess? Because he's clearly guilty, isn't he? Yes, he's guilty. And, um, and uh, then he brings this ram for a guilt offering. But, um, then, but then Aaron, sorry to interrupt. Yep. The whole idea of this poor lass is that she's not free. That is right. why she's not put together. I mean, put to death. She's she's just to be whatever they're going to do, but she's not to be put to death. For now, I mean, for that time. Yes, and I think that there you go. Mordecai, David, let's focus on that bit here. In terms of separation, in terms of distinction, there's no freedom here. So what should be our, our response? Our, one of our responses should be, well, we want to bring freedom. We want to bring redemption. We want to make sure the situation is right. So in our, in our spiritual level, how this applies to us, um, we want to come into these situations and we want to make them right. We want to come into a situation where the relationship is going wrong. Okay? It's wrong. Um, we can make an investigation. We can try and figure out you know, if there's adultery or not. But at the end of the day, 
we have to try and A, bring redemption to the girl, and we have to bring forgiveness to the guy. And both of these things need to be need to be done. Um, so while this, like these are these are these are two verses, three verses, they say very little about the girl. And they say very little about what's going to happen afterwards. I mean, if a guy's got enough rams, what's the logical conclusion? He can go around and sleep with whoever he wants. I just keep paying lambs. But you've got to go on the ne- onto the next level. How's this, how does this affect our community? We need to make some distinctions here. Uh, we need to understand slaves. We've got other rules for slaves, right? And at the end of the day, we're not meant to have slaves. We're meant to eventually free them, right? We're meant to, people are meant to work off their debt. They're meant to eventually be, be released, particularly in, in Shemitah years and in years of Jubilee and after seven. Isn't this very much like um, Yvonne was saying, that in a sense this woman is it's not like she's, because there's this thing, she's betrothed to another man. So really who's her head? Because her head would have been the owner. But here she's betrothed to another man. So she's in this state where she's not really married yet, but it, she's, it's like who's her owner here? And because it, it, for me, it seems very strange that she's not free because she's still a bond slave. So she has an owner. And yet the owner may have washed his hands of her in a sense because she was betrothed to another man or whoever that is. So somebody who's her owner here. And I think to me, it seems to be this case of this, this woman is in this limbo state of somebody's not her owner. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. No, it's a it's an interesting little little thing that we're coming up against. Yeah. Who we know enough? He should cough up a but big sum of money and be put in jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we we, we need to... it, it must have been quite common though for it to need to be put in the in the Bible. That's also true, is that sometimes you find these laws and you think, what is this law doing here? Oh. This actually might have actually really happened. <laughs> and uh, they need these things to make sure that we, we fix this up. And I'm 100% sure that someone had this problem. So that, that's why we have this verse here. I don't think Moshe Rabbeinu was just sitting it up because that's the, that's the way they, they, they create. I mean, he didn't create it at all, but the, the instructions were given by God on, on the basis. There are many examples of it in the, in the Torah. All right. No other comments on that. So we, we have, when, when, I, when I come time to make the summary on this discussion, I'll try and figure out a little more about the woman if we can find one, although in my initial investigation I couldn't. But I'll try and also look, and if anybody wanted to make a comment on the, um, the, 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 the spiritual lesson we can learn on um, freedom, redemption, and a lot of these things, it's, the situation is not meant to stay the same. Okay. Um, the man has sin has to be atoned for and the woman has to be taken care of for as well, although it doesn't say how in this, in this respect, although she is to become free. And we know nothing about the betrothed. What was his responsibility? Why is he not coming here and doing anything? Um, and it's in the situation of separation and the ability to, to make distinctions is an act of holiness. It's in the holiness code. It's in the section that, that says, I am the Lord, and you will do this. You will learn to make distinctions. Or as, as uh, God has said it in the, in the, in the 
at the beginning of Vaikra, in the, in, in the calling, um, you will distinguish between the sacred and the profane. Larry wrote something in the chat, very interesting. I think he's still trying to unmute himself. He says, the girl, unless she marries the man, is became less able to marry. Maybe. Maybe, yes. It, yep, it's possible um, that she's now uh, has, has, has got a taint of um, uh, dishonor to her. And it's possible that she may, may no longer... Uh, be eligible for marriage, which would be a, in the in the ancient world a horrible situation. Um, there's a, there's a lot of redemption that needs to be done in this thing. Okay, now we get uh, into verse 23 and 25, and this is something that um, uh, the Butterfields alluded to. The when you enter into the land, okay, um, and start planting trees. Now trees would already be there, so there's already going to be crops that they didn't plant and, 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 and fruit from trees that they didn't plant. And God's already told them, you're going to get these things. You're even going to get houses you didn't build. But when it comes time for you to actually physically put stuff in your own ground, um, the, uh, there was a rule. And the first three years, you couldn't eat from these trees. And in the fourth year, the first harvest that becomes available is to God. So we get distinctions being made. First fruits belong to the Lord. And in the fifth year, which is an interesting number, um, it, uh, you can then begin to eat. And there's a caveat. If you do this, somehow it's agriculturally positive. There's an increase. There's um, um, some sort of benefit to the plant. In some way, and so this is uh, uh, the this is in terms of the holiness, looking after creation in a certain way. Now it might not be the way that modern agriculture wants us to do it, but there's a there's a, it's an it's an interesting rule for how we apply ourselves to looking after creation. And I find it interesting in, in Genesis. The uh, phrase, it's just one sentence, dominate the earth or conquer, actually, literally conquer the earth. doesn't say how. doesn't tell you what it means to conquer the earth. doesn't say, Adam, quick, get all your armies, march out and conquer the Garden of Eden. Um, there's uh, one way of, of, of uh, subduing the earth is actually to work with it, which is an interesting thought. All right, David, any comments or thoughts on uh, this interesting agricultural distinction that we have to make? Yes, Aaron, actually, I'm, I'm going to come back to Lord Jesus and one of his parables. Okay. It's, it's in Luke 13, 6, 7, and 8. It's the parable of the fig tree planted in the vineyard. Okay. 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 A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it, you know, why put up with this tree? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, which is the fourth year, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, and well, and if not, then after that you shall cut it down. This, it's, it feels like Lord Jesus is pointing directly to this. To, to our situation also and back 2,000 years ago. Mm, that's interesting. I'd actually never thought of looking at that parable and applying it to Leviticus. 
Very interesting. Because I've always just looked at that parable and thought, fruit, the, you know, the, the, the poor leadership, they haven't given, given, um, uh, given, given fruit to their studies, and uh, this is bad. But this is interesting. For three, the, the shock of this parable would be, what do you mean you came here searching for fruit for three years? You shouldn't have been able to have any it anyway, right? Um, yet there hadn't been any fruit. The fourth year, anything provided would have belonged to Hashem, the Lord. It's not even going to be yours anyway, Master. But uh, let's dig, let's actually prepare, and let's hope that God actually gets something first. So that's an interesting thought. What a, what, there's a whole bunch of new, new nuances on that parable. I can't wait to preach that one in church one day. All right, Yvonne, you've got the hand raised. It's interesting that when it talks about it in Hebrew, and <clears throat> it says actually that it's, um, it says here, uh, verse, yeah, when you come in, it should, it's regarded as forbidden, forbidden to you. And it, it talks about, it's the, the word in Hebrew is actually uncircumcised. It's, it's just like Abraham with the men and how he had to have the covenant of circumcision. And if you didn't, then that those that were not circumcised would be um, cut off from the people. So it's interesting how the Lord says the forbidden is that in a sense, it's uncircumcised. It's not ready to be of the Lord. And on top of that, um, possibly could it, you know, the first fruits first taken by the Levites in that time to be able to take the first fruits. So the first goes to the, so it's uncircumcised and then fourth year goes to the Lord and could be as a first fruits, just something to think about. Yep. Um, any comments on um, uh, an appropriate agricultural function? Any, any with distinguishing between normal agriculture and brand new agriculture? A any ideas? I mean, I, I can't, I'm not saying I've got any ideas. I'm just throwing out some questions, looking at, um, trying to figure out what is the distinction being made here? Aaron, I was listening to a gardening program recently where they were talking about planting, I think it was apple trees, and I can't remember the exact rule, but you certainly couldn't eat the, the fruit, at least in the first year. It may have even been for longer because for some reason it's better to not take the fruit off the tree and to not use it and then to wait. It's, it's something around that. It's something around you can't have the first crop as, as a normal thing. I, I didn't really listen so intently that I could actually explain it, but there was definitely something about that. Aaron, it goes to maturity. It's, it's very similar to nuts, like a nut tree will last, say, 13 or 14 years before it bears fruit. It's, it's, you, you, you have to let your trees gain a certain amount of maturity before they bear proper fruit. Yeah, I think that's what it, the point was. That's an interesting thought. The distinction is maturity, or one, one distinction, one, one thing to learn is to bear good fruit, they, they need maturity. That includes us. Obviously, we're not going to show, uh, put out the young bean sprouts into action when they're not ready uh, to be able to handle it. Okay. Um, Janet, did you have your hand raised or are you just taking it down? Well, I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, it, it seems that the tree just really needs to grow those first few years. And if it's putting its energy into making fruit and you're sort of seeing that as a crop. You're not letting it come to a point where it really can produce fruit. 
I'm not sure about leaving that on to to ripen. Um, that's it. Do, it doesn't say not to um, not not to let it. You know, not it's forbidden to you. You're not to eat it. Um, it's not probably fully formed as as what the fruit will eventually be. So it, it is about maturity. Yep, I think that's an interesting. That- thought that people have brought in here of maturity and the distinction that there is in that. Um, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes our young, and even though Paul says don't, don't uh, let people get, uh, dissuade you from ministry because you're young. However, maturity is also some, an asset. Uh, and later on, we're going to see some um, how you're supposed to distinguish between wisdom uh, in amongst uh, the elderly and the more mature. But um, we'll, we'll stop there in terms of our study. Next week, we'll pick up on some of the separation between the physical and the spiritual, where there's certain parts of the spiritual realm that we're not allowed to have access to and um, that actually are real and they, they do work, and I put that in inverted commas, but they are forbidden to us. We have to make a distinction between good spirits bad spirits and sometimes in our world certainly can't do that all right uh patricia just one quick thing how many years did jesus minister that's a good question three well we don't know okay but isn't it about three isn't it about three we just a thought okay we here's what we know okay in matthew mark and luke there's really we get the three and a half years roughly because of the Gospel of John, which mentions three Passovers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke only mention one Passover. So if you only have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would think Jesus' ministry was one year long. Um, but it was more than that. So just because there are three Passovers mentioned in John doesn't inherently mean that it was only three years. It could be. It could be three and a half. That's absolutely perfectly fine. So then I was just thinking if he ministered for three years. Correct. And then the fourth getting year. Getting everybody be, ready. Yeah, yeah. could be. Could be. That, that could be. Could fit there very nicely. Yes. Um, that's, that's also true. Very good. All right, guys. See you next week. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.